Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Today's our topic is going to be surrounded by what is a financial planner? So Dan, I know that this is probably one of your favorite topics to talk about uh, in public for a multitude of reasons. But in all reality, you know, this is actually a pretty big topic for us. Um, We talk about it a lot in-house. We talk a lot about it with our clients, prospective clients, people just in general. We have a lot of thoughts on our industry, especially when it comes to financial planning specifically, and then how our firm has been created versus other firms. So this is going to be a really fun topic to talk about. I think it'll be a little bit lively. Um, So really, honestly, for where I really want to start first is just kind of talking a little bit about the basics, because I think the general public doesn't quite really even get the basics of our industry. So uh, who wants to start us off talking a little bit about our industry in general? Um, we will often uh, quote Justice Potter Stewart, who said in 1964 that you know it when you see it. And I think that that's very, very similar to, yeah. uh, to financial planning. Um, you know it when you see it, but people don't really see it done well enough. I mean, which is which is true, and I think one of the reasons why people don't see it as done enough is because when you're looking at our industry from a broad sense, if you're looking at just big, big broad strokes, um, financial advising. So, financial planner can, is could be a synonym for financial advisor, financial consultant, whatever it may be. Um, and the problem with that, as we talk about a lot, is that's a very commoditized title, it's a commoditized phrase, and the reason for that is because our industry in general has evolved from more of a sales-driven culture to now it's starting to grow its little legs and start starting to crawl into true advice, similar to a lawyer, similar to a CPA. So when we walk into a room, people are like, oh, you're a financial advisor, and we have to say, no, no, we're not. Please don't call us that. <laughs> I would argue that they were kicked and uh, they were pulled kicking and screaming, not not just uh, growing little legs and going forward. They were forced by the Department of Labor with the uh, fiduciary rule that has since been pretty much significantly rolled back in its current form. Yes, and that's because, and a lot of those rules have come up because if you're looking back at our industry from the from the very beginning, financial advisors came out of a sales-driven culture because they were the middleman between the stock market and someone buying stock, right? Someone was facilitating that because technology wasn't quite there to do it. So as the industry started to evolve, that broker started to want to get more money, so they started providing quote-unquote advice on stocks, right? But again, that was in a non, on a non-discretionary basis where they would call the client and say, hey, I have this new hot stock tip. That's where it then evolved from there. Going forward, all of a sudden, that, it, that started to change where it was like, okay, well, there's other things that we can plan on, such as insurance, estate planning, all of that fun stuff. And that really started kind of catching a little bit of steam in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And, and since then, it's continued to grow. And in my personal opinion, due to technology and where people see the value, right? It's becoming harder to say, oh, I can talk to my stockbroker. That's just really not a thing because I can go to E-Trade Fidelity and I can trade stock for dirt cheap if I want or even sometimes now for free in ETFs, mutual funds. Um, and so it's really the title has changed and I think still insurance companies use it again for sales. You're selling a product, not necessarily a service, which is a problem. If you ask, if you ask people that have similar titles to perhaps us as to what it is. If you ask 10 people, I bet you get 10 different answers. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not all necessarily doing that job. It becomes a, a hot topic word. 
And maybe it'd be useful to talk about really how we define it, whether that be right or wrong or people agree with that. Mm. Um, it's something that we talk a lot about. When we talk about financial planning or a financial planner, what, what that role that we see fit, uh, how, what, what's occurring there is we're, we or people that are doing similar, to, similar work in the same fashion are really acting as, uh, in some capacity, counselors, in some capacity, project managers. Because what we're trying to do with financial planning is we're trying to position people. Yep. We're trying to place them so that they can optimize the things in life that aren't necessarily so tangible. And I think on top of that too, which I mean, you have to also separate asset management from wealth management. A lot of people assume that all we do is manage money because it's all about money. And yes, money is always involved. It's kind of the, the, the tie, it ties everything together. But we're not just managing specifically assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, things in that capacity. What we're also doing is we're actually managing on the wealth side, which is more, more a little bit more intangible. Goals, how are we going to hit those goals, cash flow allocation, debt management, um, college funding, um, legacy planning, succession planning, family meetings, to try to get people like Dan is saying positioned. But what the, the general public looks at is it says, oh, you just manage money and that's all you do as a true asset manager. You have to, to differentiate between the two because it's important. And the, the thing is, too, when when you're talking, the money doesn't have any purpose. Yeah. If you if you can't have those aspirations funded by said money. I mean, we really don't like it when you see people run out of money prematurely. Mm-hmm. And we also don't like it when they pass away having, you know, loads and loads of money either. Unless either one of those, I guess, was their intent. Yeah, we'd like to see is that it's actually being truly managed and appropriated correctly along the way. That is true. That is true. Which then leads down the path of this, which we talk about a lot. If we're going to define financial planning, <clears throat> is that we we feel in in our building, and I think that others do in the similar in the similar vein. Let's say it's a profession. We do not get recognized as an actual profession because it's like, oh, you're just an advisor. Because people assume that all we're doing is selling a product. Telling, someone's telling us to sell which we don't do that, right? We actually are providing a service. We are actually educated within certain expertise and have knowledge about that because it's a lot of information to know. And it's not saying that we're smarter than anyone else. It's just that's what we do every day. It's like an engineer. It's like a CPA. It's like a lawyer. And I think that our profession is trying to get there, but we're not there yet. We're trying to get earn a seat at the table. So I would even say from an academic standpoint, a lot of academic research has come out more recently. It's starting to kind of beef up looking at different strategies, and because the topics that we have to know evolve, such as estate planning, such as tax law, even though we're not the experts, we have to have a general understanding of it. We're not going to give that advice, and it evolves and it changes. So for an individual to keep track of that all the time, if you can do it, that's more power to you. That's awesome, but it it takes a lot of work. There's a reason why we have a job, um, similar to an engineer or anybody else has a specialty. I think, too, one of the bigger topics as well is looking at it from, like, incentives. Like, how are we incentivized versus the, the other group? Um, and which we go back to is selling a product versus selling a service. Um, I think that's a really big deal. I mean, I literally had a conversation with a vendor today, and I had to ask him, how do you get paid? How are you incentivized? So then I know it's not an, and it's not an ill will. I'm just un, it's for me to understand how they're going to push certain things at me which I think is a huge deal within our industry. And that's why we ask those questions is because we feel it should be asked. So if you're looking at a broker who's earning commissions versus us, 
it was an AUM transitioning into more subscription-based type of fees, it becomes more and more objective the less it's tied to an incentive such as commissions, mm-hmm. which is important. Mm-hmm. Which is still the majority of our industry, although yeah, times have been changing really since the 90s where you've seen increases of professionals like us um, that would be classified as RIAs, Registered Investment Advisors, that are um, that are moving the needle on less commissions within the industry as a whole yeah. and more fee-based, whether that be a percentage of overall assets or whether that be, like you mentioned, a, a subscription fee. Yeah, yeah. Um, in your opinion, Dan, since you obviously meet with a lot of people, not just our clients, but prospects, but people just in the community, how do you feel the consumer base views our industry and where do you think the disconnect comes from? And how large is the disconnect? It's a big disconnect. I think either people do not have the greatest opinion. We uh, we at this firm don't we don't wear suits very often. Um, Except today when Dan's in. Dan's I, I, I have a half a suit Dan's today. The other one. Um, <laughs> and I try not to. Uh, and uh, it's funny. Part of that decision was primarily me because it's just not us. But part of it too was we'd go into a room. And uh, immediately somebody would think that, oh, they're a financial advisor. They'd bow face and walk the other way. You never really get into actual meaningful conversations that way. And so there's got to be something driving that feeling. Yeah. And it, it wasn't once or twice that happened. It was nearly every single time. So I think that there's a, a bad taste when it comes to what people think we might be doing. Yeah. And, uh, and then that leads to, or they just don't understand. Um, they don't really grasp the differences, but... Uh, an advi- financial advisor, I'm going to use that term, is not the same as another financial advisor. No different than not all doctors are the same, not, not all yeah. realtors are the same, not all lawyers are the same. So uh, there's definitely a disconnect. I think it's a significant disconnect. I don't really know how that gets corrected um, uh, because there are incentives that drive it to not be corrected. Yeah, yeah, which is which is interesting. I mean, I think I would I, I would have the same opinion as it's, the financial literacy, I think, within the general public is just lacking, and it's not anyone's fault. I think that the education system doesn't do the greatest job of educating people on the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the information that we have, we have the curse of knowledge, which we assume that everybody should be at our level or understand it at our level, and it's quite, it's quite impressive. But I would also say, too, which we've noticed, I think, over the years that we've been in the industry, is people get nervous about it. Right, they're like, I don't want to deal with it because it's just another thing that I have to stress about. Even and it's not even people who don't have money; it's people with money as well. Right, I don't want to have to think about. But then, if they're not thinking about it, they're not being strategic, and they're not being able to take that deep dive and understanding some of those small plays that can really benefit over the long run. I mean, I would say Nathaniel too. Like, how many people truly understand the power of compounding? I mean, that's a very simple concept, but a lot of people don't really grasp onto how powerful it truly can be. If I could just uh, put in something about incentives, uh, I was turned Please on. Do. I was turned on to the concept of incentives by a quote I I read from a speech that Charlie Munger, in a speech titled "The Psychology of Human Misjudgment," he states, "Well, I think I've been in the top five percent of my age cohort all my life in understanding the power of incentives, and all my life." I've underestimated it, and never a year passes, but I get some surprise that pushes my limit a little further. 
So this just means that you should never, ever underestimate the power of incentives. And you should always question what somebody's incentives are, as Tim and Dan both mentioned. And incentives will never be completely aligned because at some no. point someone someone has to make some some money. So that's good pay, yeah. Uh, if if incentives were completely you know aligned, then uh, we wouldn't We'd do it for free. Yeah, we do it free, and we wouldn't be doing it long. Um, and so understanding them is fine, and understand that there needs to be an expectation that they that they are there. But just the lack of under, of understanding of them yeah. um, is the real problem. The mm-hmm. lack of transparency on it. And, mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is um, and like our biggest competitor isn't, uh, isn't necessarily another firm. In fact, that's far from the truth. Um, it more, it's more so the bad experience that somebody has had because they didn't get proper communication. They didn't understand expectations. You know, and and something goes awry. Of course, you're set up for it to go awry, yeah. and then uh, we then have to deal with uh, with with financial baggage, yeah. and uh, and that's that's a very diff- different conversation to have, and sometimes it becomes a roadblock to getting into what really could be helpful. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's it's very very true, and I think too like in that same vein is we've talked a little bit about how our industry is changing slowly but surely i think it's moving in in the positive direction which is really exciting for us to see because i think here at the firm even though obviously we we try our absolute best to provide the best experience for our clients but we're also trying to do from a larger perspective more holistically speaking is push this industry forward Mm. you know that's why we definitely don't turn conversations down with people because we want to get them to see what it can be even if it's not with us but if it's with somebody else, because we are passionate about the industry in general, not just even our own firm. But with that being said, and I'm going to go back to you, Dan, because you're out there always trucking along, is even though in-house and in what we read, it's we almost got our own echo chamber, right? Mm. It seems like things are moving fast. But with your experience, do you think, where is our current, or is our industry currently? Is it still sales-driven? Do you think that's the prim- primarily what we see when we're seeing clients transition, the experience, like... In your opinion, where do we really sit? Yeah, I think we're still there. Still where? Still where we always have been. So sales-driven. Very much much sales-driven. I think that the internal changes that we know are out there are not – they're not naked to the consumer's eyes. They don't don't see that. Um, We saw little light. In, in, in the tunnel when people started a couple of years ago asking about fiduciaries <laughs> yeah and mm-hmm. the fiduciary rule from the Department of Labor which uh, which Nathaniel kind of already talked a little bit about when he talked about uh, policies being rolled back but um, when when that was being discussed more we had more people ask questions which is great great that they were doing that but outside of that I just haven't really seen it yeah. I, I mean I don't know how many times we hear from people oh yeah my advisor was I don't know, uh, farming yesterday and, and now they're my advisor and, uh, and, and they're not, they only know what is being put in front of them by a company that may not care about that client's interest whatsoever. Very, very, very far from the idea of a fiduciary. So um, I think those changes are happening. Yeah. I don't think most people are experiencing it um, until they really feel it. It's kind of like we always say, you don't know good cooking until you actually have had it. Yeah, and that's that's def- definitely the case. Now, where we see it, I'll I'll throw back to you, Tim. 
as to because we definitely see it and we talk about it all the time yeah. where the industry is going, where they could go, how we're adapting to that, and yeah. so on. And I think what needs to happen for the consumer to see it is they have to be aware of what to look for. Then I think we'll start seeing some changes there. Yeah, I think I would agree with you on that. I think it, it's kind of twofold. I mean, there's two big pushes. Number one, it's amazing what media can do, the fiduciary role. It, it, what's interesting about it is that it got the conversation started. People still don't really understand it, and it's still very. It was very muddy before it got rolled back, and but it, what it did allow for us is that people just at least ask and then be willing to say, "What does that actually mean?" Mm. and then provide the explanation. And I think that that's the same for our companies like ourselves, right? If we're looking at the registered investment advisory space, is that you're seeing a lot of people move from the bureaucratic broker dealer into a hybrid and then from a hybrid into a traditional RAA space, you're seeing larger firms making that transition easier for people to do that. Because I think that people who are running businesses like this see the light at the tunnel or see the darkness on the back end. And like, mm -hmm. if we don't change and make it and make it now, we're going to get left behind because you're seeing even large firms. I've heard rumblings of potentially fidelity rolling out an RAA, which, you know, that's a lot of competition. Vanguard putting together a subscription fee for financial planning, Schwab is going after the space. I mean, it's been going on for a while and people are trying to monetize it, right? They're trying to go after those rents, which is great for us. It creates a little bit more competition. But competition is good for us. Yeah, but then there's different levels of competition. Mm. That's what is sometimes I think missed as well is that the we are very much, I mean, in our firm, we look at it very much as an individualized system. We are not a box shop. A Fidelity, a Vanguard are probably more geared to people that just want basic education. Where we come in is we actually provide more detailed, higher level of actual advice specific to the individual. Because what's interesting is I could give different advice to two different clients about the same topic. Mm -hmm. And it could be driven based off what they actually want. Mm -hmm. But our goal isn't to tell them what they want. Our goal is to position them to get what they want in a rational an understandable manner to have options but that creates work right that is hard to scale and i think that's one thing that has slowed our industry down is if you're going to give true actual advice follow the cfp curriculum saw this saw follow the cpa curriculum the cpwa curriculum to get to that you have to do a lot of back-end work and i think that's what's misguided because what financial planning is usually used for is i'm going to cross sell you and get you into something i'm going to do quote unquote planning to see where your assets are and then I'm going to cross sell cross sell you to death. Quote unquote planning because what they're really doing is asset gathering. They're really trying yeah. to find other opportunities to make money off you and throw in a, maybe if you're lucky an Excel spreadsheet yeah, exactly. together of what, of what your retirement projections could be. Forgetting about all the different things that can change that really doesn't serve you. No. Not only asset gathering but also trying to sell you insurance. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a big tool and which frustrates me about our industry in general is a lot of that still is geared towards that sales type of tactic. If you're looking even at technology, it is changing, but it's still there. It has that, it's still like that. It's like, you know, the dog biting on the back of your ankle just won't go away. Hmm. Um, and for good reason, it's not that I don't understand it, but it's frustrating because it's not the, the true essence of what it can be in my opinion. In the next part of what is a financial planner, we're going to talk about, the CPA and CPWA designations, the importance of being self-taught and the lifelong continuing education process, the qualitative side of financial planning, 
And lastly, LBW is key to financial planning, which is an agile process. Your life changes, so should your plan. Traditional financial planning is very static, one-stop, one-shop kind of a hit, where we see it as an evolving document that should grow with you throughout your life. We look forward to having you listen to our next episode. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer, or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.